So this uh, talk is called um, Insight and Perception. Um, and uh, so the reason why um, I wanted to give it really is um, I think it's quite important to, to keep, uh, keep thinking about the Buddhist, Buddhist teachings and keep thinking about the different um, terms that are there, you know, that we see quite often, you know. So the particular uh, term, Buddhist term I'm going to focus on tonight is something called uh, Samnya, which is the Sanskrit, or Sanya, S-A-N-N-A, in Pali, uh, which is often translated as uh, perception. Um, so it's there, you know, it's there in the five skandhas, uh, one of the skandhas. And uh, so I, 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 you know, the, the origin of this train of thought was that I came across, um, I was looking at a book called uh, Mindfulness in Early Buddhism. And uh, um, the author, who's a, a Taiwanese monk called Seifu Xuan, he, um, he was talking about the, the mechanism of, that takes place, that he thought, with the metabhavna. So he said that um, the metabhavna is, a, is a, a process of constructive imagination. Um, so it's like uh, we try, we're... He says, uh, we're bringing mindfulness to our sanya, to our apperceptions of things, to make them more in line with reality. So the basic idea behind that was, um, you know, that, uh, you know, if we're thinking of ourselves as an object, you know, so, so, apperception is... It's often translated as something like recognition. Um, so, you know, the way it works is, I mean, Vishapani corrected me on this. I used to call it, just say, uh, think it was perception. So basically what it is, is once you've learned what an object is called, you know, so you learn what a chair is at school, then when you next see a chair, you go, oh, it's a chair. You know, so you recognise it as that. Um, so, you know, we, we build up uh, a way of recognising everything. So it's quite important, like, that we recognise things correctly. You know, so, so when we see a, um, you know, human being, that we recognise them as a human being with feelings and everything like that, not as an object. So, but what, I think what happens is that that sanya, uh becomes kind of like deluded or it, 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 we might, it changes all the time. We become unmindful of what's really there and we start seeing human beings as objects. Um, so I, now when I teach the metabarbana, I'm often working like this. I'm sort of saying, okay, so you've got a view and you've got your mind. 
in the full sense of it, as his psyche. And part of that mind is, is your emotions. You know, so your view conditions your emotions. So if you if you think, oh, that's an that's an object there, you'll 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 have a when you see a human being, you'll be indifferent towards them. That'll be your your emotion. And if you if you see a human being and you, and you, you really sit recognise them as a human being. Uh, and everything that, that is implied in that, then you'll tend to want to um, respond with care towards them, because that's the appropriate emotional response. And it, this works with everything really, so you know, often our view is, is our view is often the thing that we, that we think is going to bring us, bring happiness, you know, we have a view about things. And we protect it, think, yeah, this is what I need to do. Uh, so if our view is like, you know, uh, stuffing our face with cream cakes is going to bring us happiness, that's what we'll do. You know, we'll, our emotion will be to want them. Uh, if, it's, if it's to push everybody away out of our way, that's what we'll do. You know, that, we can think that brings us happiness. <coughs> yeah. Um, so in, 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 that, um, in that book, I uh, thought, oh yeah, that's great, that, that really helps solve the problem of like what emotions are, because people often think in terms of emotions as somehow to do with feelings. Um, so here we've got like body, feeling, mind, chitter, and views, mental objects, the four foundations of mindfulness. So, if we, you know, we can think of emotions as feeling, but <coughs> feeling is just pleasant and or painful. It's not, it's not something we're doing. So, it, in any emotion, there's a contribution from the body. Uh, there's a contribution from feeling, and there's a contribution from the view, from our views and things. So it's like just having the, trying to make sure that our, our perceptions are in line with, with how things are really helps our emotions be in line with how things are appropriate. So, uh, so I was putting this in your book and everything, uh, and then after a while it kind of dawned on me that uh, I wonder if that, if that operates in other areas, in meditation, you know, the, the thing about our perception being transformed through mindfulness. Um, so, what about the mindfulness of breathing? Um, so, you know, what are you trying to do in the mindfulness of breathing? So, when I, uh, these days, often when I teach it, uh, I'll talk about... Uh, the object not particularly being the breath, because the aim the aim of the meditation is to uh, is to cultivate awareness, is to cultivate mindfulness. So, in a way, that's the object. The object is more mindfulness, um, but the breath is like a vehicle to that. So, if you think, oh, how do I? Uh, 
cultivate mindfulness through watching the breath. Well, uh, if I'm looking, trying to know whether I know what's happening with the breath or not, you know, like detail in the breath, do I know what's happening now and then the next moment and the next moment and all that. If I can say, yeah, I, I, I do know what just happened then and in that moment as well, in that moment, then we can say that we're being mindful. But if we're just vague about it, we can't really say that. So, so the, the, yeah, the, the, the object is, is mindfulness, really, in, in, in the meditation. Now, when, when we start doing the meditation, when we sit down, uh, or before we do a meditation course or something, we might think, oh yeah, I'm perfectly mindful. Uh, so our, our, our sanya, sanya, about our awareness, is one thing. You know, we think we're, we're aware. What we recognise in ourselves is we think we're aware. Once we start to bring mindfulness to, to this, you know, through meditating on it, uh, what do we realise then after a while? We're not aware, you know, we're, we, we can't, we're not with the breath at all. So, so the process of bringing mindfulness to our, our perception about our awareness actually helps us improve it. You know, so we'll, we'll think, oh, I'm not really being mindful, I need to be more mindful. Um, and uh, yeah, it was interesting in the, uh, in the um, Bangor University, you know, secular mindfulness uh, dialogue that sort of evolved around, around mindfulness. And people, they were going, oh, uh, people were talking as if it was automatic that when you practice mindfulness, that, that you just became mindful, you know. But Buddhists were going, hang on a minute, no. <laughs> you know, the point is that um, often you become aware how unmindful you are. So this is kind of, this sort of like explains that a little bit. Do you think that makes sense? Of a <coughs> so in the... Uh, In the um, uh, Four Foundations of Mindfulness, you, you know, chitta is mind in the sense of the, psych, the whole psyche. And I think the reason why uh, it's the whole psyche is it's like what we're looking at here is, is everything that, that is active and has an effect in the world. So that has a karmic effect. So our emotions have a karmic effect. Our Thoughts have a karmic effect, and our degree of attention has a karmic effect as well. So we work uh, on our emotions in the metabolism, and we work on our attention in the mindfulness of breathing, and then we work on our thoughts uh, in insight meditation. You know, we work to change our view. Of things. So our view, our view is just what we happen to have. We'll have a particular view 
of things at any moment, you know, like that's just the view at the time at that time. Uh, but because these two uh, condition each other, if we think about something, we can change our view. We don't have to think about it, you know. If we're happy with our view, then we probably don't need to think about it. But if if another view comes along, that's somebody else's view, or if we have a better view, we have to think about it. We have to think, oh, is that right, or is that right? So you have the, the active side of the mind, which is thinking, and then you have the, the sort of almost the, the static side of the mind, which is the view that is actually held. Uh, and this uh, here, this foundation is dharmas, which is mental objects. Uh, and in the uh, in Bhante's, um translation of the Heart Sutra, he, he translates dharmas as what the mind takes hold of. You know, so it's like, yeah, it's like that. It's like what the, the view that the mind has at a particular time. And that's it, I think. This, I think this, is, this covers everything, really. Emotions, thoughts and attention. So, so we have the same process, again, with, uh, with uh, apperception and mindfulness. You know, bringing mindfulness to our apperceptions. And when, we, when we're thinking about views, And this is this is this is inside meditation. That's a nice degree. So again, you know, we, we start off at the beginning of the meditation before we do the insight meditation. Thinking, oh yeah, I'm I'm really clear that everything's impermanent. <laughs> and uh, uh, don't need any help with that, really. Uh, so we then sit down and we do an insight meditation. So we we sort of drop in the idea that um, things are impermanent, uh, and uh, I, mean, I think the idea behind uh, well, you've got the three levels of wisdom. You've got Wisdom through hearing, which is just when you th- you hear something, you go, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." Uh, wisdom through reflection, and the last one is wisdom through meditating. So, I think that wisdom through meditating is where the, the whatever whatever you you've reflectively accepted, which is what happens at level two. Ratnaguna talks about this, you know, reflective acceptance. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Actually goes right down to the you know, depths of your being, you know, so you act as if that's the case. So there's no, there's no thinking smoking's a, good, a bad idea and then having one. It's like, you think smoking's a bad idea and you don't have any, <laughs> ever, you know, so it's like, there's something about, it's just integrated right down to the lowest level, really. So yeah, so when you do any kind of meditation on, on uh, an insight topic like uh, impermanence. I think again, it just, 
you, you're bringing mindfulness to your what you recognise, and you just realise that actually you're not really into that at all. You know, you're not really as clear about it or able to sort of sit with it as you thought. But that's good. You know, it's like self-knowledge, isn't it? Yeah, know thyself. Um, and, and I think you know, it's, it's why you have the idea of Socrates being the wisest person out in Athens because he didn't think he was wise. He, he just was aware of what he didn't, how much he didn't know, really. Um, Yeah. So, I'll, I'll, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, well, I, th I think if you, uh, you know, if you recognise something as, as how things are one minute, mm. you think, oh yeah, you know, things are impermanent, all that. But then five minutes later, you're not recognising that at all. You're thinking something else, you know, when you your sanyas doing something else, it's going, oh yeah, no, it's all right. <laughs> then it's not really stable, is it? Mm. You know, it's not really stable uh, sanya. Yeah. Whereas if it's, if it's just there all the time, then that's a sign that it, you know, it's, it's realised, you know. Okay. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, so does it link then with, um, you know, the idea of um, um, right view or perfect view? Um, yeah. Mundane. Views. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to talk about that. So funny. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, so um, so I'll just say a little bit about right view. Sagramati's our kind of one of our former scholars in the movement, um, and I'm a bit of a fan of his, you know. And uh, he was doing last year. He was doing a lot, quite a few uh, days for order members, um, and he did one. On, he did one on right view, and I, I, uh, I've got kind of to send up the uh, the, the, the audio recording so I can listen to it. And uh, it's really interesting what he's saying about right view. So, um, so right view. So, you, so you've got the uh, in the in the in the path to nirvana. So this is nirvana. Um, you've got a point uh, that Sangharatta talks about as. The point of no return, uh, or traditionally known as stream entry. So um, this is the point where your momentum 
in spiritual practice has got to be so much that you've got enough momentum to get to Nirvana. Uh, you don't, you know. Um, and, uh, but short of that, you haven't, you might fall back again. So, um, what Sagramati said, talked about was like, uh, at this point, at stream entry, you have what's called right view. So it's a bit like, I suppose, if you're driving a car and you've got the, you know, you know where you're going. You know, uh, you've got the map, you know, you know the direction to go if you're going in. You need, you obviously need that to, if you're going to get to your destination in Nirvana. Um, but, uh, the, the stream entry, it's said that you, you've still got like up to seven lifetimes left before you're going to attain Nirvana. And you have other stages like the stage of the uh, once returner, so you're going to get re reborn once more, and the non-returner before you get to, to the stage of the Arahant. So, in the, uh, as you, at the point of uh, stream entry, you've broken three fetters. So, you've, you've broken um, fixed self view. So, you, 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 you don't think of yourself as like uh, unchanging, you know, that you, which you're always going to need that if you're going to get, if you're going to change. Uh, You've got the uh, doubt, which isn't a kind of rational doubt, like, oh, yeah, I don't really believe that. It's more of a sort of emotional wavering or something. So you've got faith, basically. And you've got um, uh, dependence on rites and rituals as ends in themselves. So, you're not going through the motions, basically. Yeah. You're not just practicing because everybody else is practicing. Uh, and then, you've got ten fetters altogether that are broken at Nirvana. So, you've got them... Um, so, the, the, this is here. And then the next, the next level, you've got the weaken craving and hatred. And then here, you, you break, you know, you, 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 you've rid of craving and hatred. At the non-return. And then you've got three other ones like conceit and uh, ignorance and slight wavering or something. Um, so the point here is that you've still got work to do beyond stream entry to kind of transform your emotions. And uh, when Sagarati talks about um, a view, he talks about it as a, a deeply ingrained attitude. Uh, so, you know, which includes your emotions, which includes your deep, deepest emotions. So, you might, your view might have a, you might have a conscious part to your view, you know, which is, yeah, I think smoking's a bad idea. 
And then you've got all your emotions underneath, and fears and desires. You know, the sort of fear, like you don't really want to be exposed to what happens when you stop smoking emotionally. <laughs> Or the pain of it, of you know, if you're revealing your actual experience, so far. So, um, so that you know, this is all the really powerful stuff that that needs to be transformed before you are brought in line with with nirvana, with reality, before you're going to get there, really. Uh, and um, there's a term. Uh, Anusaya, uh, which means latent tendencies. So this is like this. This is these, uh, you know, things that are there down there under the surface that are kind of will keep coming up all the time. Yeah. And. Um, so, so you've got three. You've got uh, you've got three kind of things really. You've got nirvana here. It's rudimentary really there, and this is zero. Uh, so this is, and at nirvana, you. Um, another synonym for it is knowledge of the destruction of the Ashravas. So, Ashravas or biases. So, these are uh, a tendency to look for happiness in sense desire. So, you're no, you're no longer seeking happiness in the world of the senses, you know, as a it's not like you don't enjoy uh, your life. You enjoy sensory experience, but you don't. It's, it's not a refuge because it's because it's impermanent. Uh, and then, but this this is karma, karma sugar. And then you've got bhava sugar, which is um, bhava means becoming or existence. You don't have any kind of preference for one form of existence over another, you know, you don't. Um, and then finally you've got Arvid. Oh, oh, which is uh, which is ignorance. Tendence, any tendency to ignorance. So what we have is at stream entry we've got right view with Ashavas. And at Nibbana we've got right view without Ashavas. And all this is saying is it's like, you know, there's this work to be done on converting the depths of our psyche, you know, from between stream entry and uh, nirvana. And in, in terms of um, Sangharatita's uh, teaching on going for refuge, um, what you have is 
different levels of kind of refuge. So you have um, a provisional kind of refuge, which is where you, you go for refuge under certain conditions, and then you might stop going for refuge and you know to change. Uh, you've got effective going for refuge. Uh, which is the level of an older member. So you will hopefully carry on going for refuge to, you know, you've got enough momentum to do that in your life. You won't give up. And then you've got real going for refuge, which is this level here, stream entry. Uh, so here, you can still fall back here, but you've got, you do have quite a bit of momentum. There you can't fall back. So all older members are trying to get from from effective to real going for refuge, where you know basically you guaranteed nirvana, and then you've got absolute going for refuge and nirvana. <coughs> so um, I think that's. Pretty much all I've got to say, but I could take questions if or could have a discussion if you like. So working with the um ashravas, what's the implication for <coughs> meditation practice? Yeah, so your question is like with the Ashravas, what's the implication for meditation practice? Um, well, I think uh, I think they are tied in with meditation practice. So, um, so in, in in the description of uh, the Buddha's path to Nirvana, it said, you know. It, says that he, he entered into the first dhyana, which is um, uh, which is in seclusion from sensuality and unskillful mental states. So it's basically um, it's a, a, a dhyana is a skillful mental state, and it's not relying on the world of the senses uh, for. Uh, you know, for satisfaction. Uh, so you have what you have is um, uh, two types of feeling that are described in the Satipatthana Sutta. You've got worldly feeling, and you've got spiritual feeling. So worldly feeling arises in dependence on the, the five five chords of sense desire. So it's basically attachment to anything within the world of the senses. Uh, and then spiritual feeling arises in the dhyanas. So it arises out of, out of uh, skillfulness only. And being, being arising out of skillfulness, it has, no, it has no downside to it. It has no, doesn't create any harm. So for instance, if, if you... Uh, um, care for somebody uh, and you see them doing well and you feel pleased then that has no negative consequence you know. uh, if you 
see somebody suffering and it's painful to you and you act on it, it has a positive consequence. It has no negative consequence. So all spiritual feeling has no negative consequence. Whereas to follow a worldly feeling, it has a negative consequence. So you get attached to think pleasures, you create suffering through pushing things away, you know, through aversion and all that. So I'd say, you know, that the, the, this Arshiva, the Kalam Arshiva, the one to do with senses are, in a way it's like, it's at the boundary between uh, non-Dhyanic experience and Dhyanic experience. Uh, and then the, the, the Bhavashiva, uh, so you, um, in, in, in the Dhyanas, uh, you can, well, I think you can see them as, as uh, representing increasingly skillful mental states. So um, the second the second dhyana has the tone of inspiration. You know, it's like this uprising, upwelling joy. You know, so it's a bit like it's it's like you you're skill you're being skillful, but your emotions are really involved in it. Like you, you're joyful about the skillfulness. You know, um, you know you're over the moon that your friend is uh, doing well. Uh, uh, and then in the in the third dhyana, uh, that joyfulness sort of calms down, and you you just left with a, a kind of deep peacefulness. And uh, in 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 the descriptions of uh, the the spiral path, you often have joy, pacification, bliss, and. Uh, the pacification bit is often linked with um, different qualities arising in the mind, like mental pliability, buoyancy of mind, ethical uprightness. So it's like the mind is really becoming skillful, you know, in a, it's being moulded in that way. It's not just being skillful and falling it back again. It's like it's, it's being shaped in that it, as, as being skillful all the time, you know, as naturally being skillful. Um, and then in the fourth dhyana, that's all the same, that's all present, that same thing, but there's no, uh, that, come, that isn't influenced at all by whether your experience is pleasurable or painful. So the danger in the third dhyana is like, you get a bit carried away, you go, oh, I feel great, oh, that's that sort of thing. So it's a, it, you know, it's a distraction potentially. Uh, so the, when equanimity comes in in the fourth dhyana, then uh, it's this got this spiritual strength to it. It's not gonna, it's gonna keep going, no matter what, uh, in terms of being skillful. You know. And in, in the in the description of in the, of the dhyanas. Uh, uh, it talks about well, there's two words uh, pariyodata which means completely it's like white or something it's like I think odata is white or something so it's like it's like completely white so you often get this um, associated with like white light 
uh, you know, the white light of the Dharma Dhatu or the white light of reality or something like that. I think it's just a, it's almost like a unblemishable state of mind uh, that's just really bright and pari, uh, uh, pari sudita, sudi or something. It's got sudi in it, so it's pure, so it's completely pure. And I think, it, it, I think what it means is it's, it's completely skillful, which is probably the pure bit, and it's completely uh, immune to being stained or, you know, it's not going to, um, it's going to be able to take reality in. I think that's it really. Because um, often that white light is all, often is, you know, the white light appears in the bardo and, you know, you recoil from it. But if your mind is in that pariyodata state, then it won't do that. You know, it'll go, oh, yeah, I accept this. Um, so I, th- I think, uh, I think there might be some connection here between, you know, with the uh, Bhavashrava in this, uh, this place, you know, where you're at the top of the fourth dhyana and then you kind of, you have no preference for, you know, one type of experience or another. You know, it's like that image of the sphere being balanced on a plane, it's not going to go anywhere. Um, yeah, it makes sense that, you know, I think, logical sense. And then, you know, you get around all this, you get all sorts of cosmologies evolve, you know, where, you, you know, you have the gods are represented as being in here. And, uh, just to, yeah, to, and, you know, beyond, um, Beyond the fourth dhyana, you get like supernormal powers arising, you know, float through the air and all that sort of thing. And I think, for me, I, I think the Buddha, when he talks about supernormal powers, he's, he's he, what he says is, he says, you should, you shouldn't dismiss them, but neither should you get carried away by them. You know, so you criticise people for saying, you know, for, that you know. For, for saying you can do without them, because in a way, they they they're symbolic of like powerful states that you can get into. But you know you don't get in. But likewise, you don't get into it. You don't you don't get obsessed with trying to get into supernormal states because that's really unhelpful and is a distraction. So. Uh, Any other questions? I was wondering about uh, with the Balabhasana and relating to Dhyana because one of the remaining five feathers from that in our half rates is uh, not favouring a form of existence or a form of existence, form of existence being in the Dhyanas, it seems to that those fetters are directly related to the Dhyanas, so yeah. wouldn't Balabhasana mean, you know, removing any preference for any Dhyana state, including like the formless Dhyanas and the original four? Yeah, yeah. Well, I th- well, I think, I think, uh, I think, well, when the, 
you know, said the Buddha could just move at will from first dhyana to the fourth dhyana. Yeah. So it's like he's not, if he had some preference for one or the other, mm. he would tend to get pulled in that direction, wouldn't he? Yeah. So, so I think, yeah, um, that's the state you want to get, get into where you can choose yeah. one thing or another. That's one thing that you uh, mentioned about how dhyana don't really have any negative aspects to the yeah. skillful mental states. But yeah. in my years of uh, being a Buddhist and hanging around meditators, you do get the dhyana junkies, the people who are kind of like constantly after the, yeah. the next dhyana or all the. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I try to spend as much time in dhyana as possible. And yeah. 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 So they can yeah. be a subtle obsession like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, that's why I think that's why you have the, um, uh, well, partly why you have the teaching of the five spiritual faculties. So mm. you've got concentration on the one hand. Yeah. It has to be balanced with um, energy and pursuit of the good or virya on the other. So uh, you have to test the fact that you know. Do you you know? Are you are you robust enough to go out into the world and just do an ordinary job? Yeah. <laughs> You know, so if, you, if you're a pyjama junkie, you know, you're, not, you're probably going to have to say no. You know? So it's like, yeah. And in a way, the fourth dhyana is a bit like that, isn't it? It's like, it's like you, you know, you, you've developed equanimity, so you, you are uh, robust. You know, I think equanimity is like um, being skillful under all circumstances. So it's like you're not, you're not. You don't change your mind about being skillful just because things are a bit painful or something like that. So. Can I just say something? Yeah. You know, when you're happy, and you could always wait for something to go wrong, haven't you? Something. Yeah. And I just wondered, it's been that it's an age old thing, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to feel more than one burst or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're too happy or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's the. That's so, yeah, so. Yeah, like happiness being sort of something you can be afraid of losing. Yeah. Kind of yeah. So uh, that yeah. So that's there in the teaching on dukkha. So one form of dukkha is direct direct suffering, but another form is I can't remember the name for it now. But it's like where you you're experiencing pleasure, but you're afraid of it going away. You know. Yeah. It's, yeah. 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 I, mean, I, th- I think the. Um, uh, I came across a sutta that uh, uh, I can't remember the name of it now, but it um, it's basically talks about the um, uh, there being like eleven ways to something like eleven ways to attain nirvana, uh, and so the things like uh, you get into one of the four dhyanas, and then you. You reflect that um, those states are conditioned and volitionally produced. So it's a bit like you're sort of saying, well, um, you're admitting that that they're impermanent. You know. So when something you said says you really no, you're fully you're fully convinced that they are conditioned and volitionally produced. So you're really convinced that whatever skillful mental state you bring about or whatever good thing you bring into the world, it isn't going to last. You know? So, you know, you don't then get depressed about it when it goes or when 
the, the object that you've created goes, or the effect you've created goes. And I think, for me, this is how skillfulness and insight are connected, that the insight is, is just that. And it's like, things come, fall apart, therefore, you know, one has to keep bringing them into being all the time, like perpetual self-transcendence. So nirvana is not a static state that you get into and then rest. It's like, it's a state that you get into where you, re you really realise that on a deep level that everything just ends and will come to an end. If, you know. So you're, you're looking for the conditions to maintain that. And one, I think one of the conditions, maintain whatever's positive. So, and one of the conditions is that, is that realisation. So, yeah. That kind of feels um, sort of when, um, just thinking kind of logically, then you're earlier on the path, so you're directing effort to um, create conditions, you know, skillful conditions or skillful context, and plus, you know, the practice of ethics. So it's, it's not necessarily kind of, um, just thinking, you know, whether it's um, the stages um, um, that you put, you know, provisional sort of um, round sort of um, effective, but there's a, a direct, almost like a, a willful yeah. effort yeah. to create conditions, which um, feels um, kind of different from an awakening mind, whether it be, well, there is simply the spontaneity of play, of, yeah. of, the, you know, of the show, yeah. of life. Yeah. Well, um, there's that word dharmata, which means naturalness, uh, and Ratna Guinness talked about this a bit, that uh, you don't, it's not through an act of will that, that things arise, you know, so you don't, it gives the example of like, uh, freedom from remorse doesn't arise uh, through an act of will, you know. It arises naturally when a person's ethics is kind of complete, you know. So, if you if your ethics are full and everything, it's just natural that you you, you feel remorse when you do something wrong. And I think all of the all of the path is like this, you know. So it uh, it's just natural that when you uh, stop stop creating negative conditions like the hindrances you know so if you get your if you get your body into a good state so it's got vitality in it and your mind is clear and sharp and everything you won't have that muddiness of mind you won't have sloth and torpor and all you know but you put the work in to get there and you're maintaining it you know then you you you're naturally in better conditions to be to be skillful because you can think clearly and you can, you've got the energy in your body to support your, your mind and your emotions and all that. Uh, so I think everything's a bit like that really, you know. The Buddha wouldn't keep making mistakes about what leads to what. He would be very clear that, no, it's precisely this that is the thing that you keep, have to, I have to keep doing. And not be, and his, his, his samya wouldn't keep changing, you know, thinking one thing one minute and something else the next, you know. So... Yeah. So it's uh, five to eight. Uh, so shall we uh, have a like a twenty minute tea break and then come back and do uh, the puja? Great. Yeah. Thanks a lot.